Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. So, of course, today is Palm Sunday, and it is that day that we recognize Jesus declared that he was the King of Israel, that the King had come. Amen? But even on this day, we look forward to what takes place later this week, and that is when Jesus dies for the sins of humanity. It's a special week. Uh, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus that bore our sins in his body and, and the, the red royal blood that he shed that washes us white as snow. And it's a special thing that we do tonight here in a few minutes as we come to the Lord's table and uh, we partake of that which he has left as a remembrance of, uh, of the sacrifice he made for us. So let me get a show of hands tonight. So, of course, you know, traditionally it's called Good Friday, but some people bristle at that. How many of you are like, you know what? Okay, I think probably he was crucified on Friday. We'll call it Good Friday. Any takers on that? You can raise your hand. How, how many say, you know what? It's not Friday. It's Thursday, and I've done my research, and I can prove it. Any takers there? Anybody go take Wednesday? Anybody go be happy and just say, I'm just glad he died and rose. Amen? Amen. Whether it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or somewhere in between, I'm just happy to know that he died, was buried, and rose again. You know, we do remember. We remember the lamb who laid down his life. You know what? This whole thing culminates on Sunday when we remember the lion who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen? When he took his life back again. So we're looking tonight at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus in preparation to come to the Lord's table. I won't be long tonight. Here in about 15, 20 minutes, our youth group will be joining us and our college and career will be joining us as uh, we prepare to go to the Lord's table. But just a brief thought tonight uh, from Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. I need you to have the context here. So we see Jesus on the cross and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The context here is, before we got here, Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, sold for 30 pieces of silver. In Luke 22, beginning in verse number 30, 47, we see this. While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, uh, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man? With a kiss? And he did. Sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed by one of the 12 men who had walked with him and and, and ministered with him and done all those things by his side for those three and a half years. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. You know, before we get to Luke 23, 34... Not only was Jesus betrayed by Judas, you also have to remember that Jesus was abandoned by the disciples. In Matthew 26, in verse number 56, the Bible says, But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. We see in Luke 22, beginning in verse 59, about the space of one hour, this is one of the disciples in particular, uh, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, speaking of Jesus, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I knowest not what thou sayest. This was the third time Peter had denied the Lord Jesus. (coughs) Immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. 
Jesus betrayed. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was slandered by the priests and the Jewish people. He came into his own, and his own received him not. In fact, the Bible says that they went so far in Matthew 26 as to uh, uh, seek false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. You have questions about our justice system. Look at this. Verse 60. But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none at the last, two false witnesses. And they said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Jesus was betrayed by his own. Jesus was abandoned by his own. Jesus was slandered by his own. Jesus was failed by the government. Eventually, Jesus was taken to Pilate. Pilate was the, uh, the Roman overlord, if you would. And uh, Pilate was in charge with making sure the Jewish nation stayed in line. With making sure that the laws of Rome were followed. And yet, Pilate had an opportunity here to intervene in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 24. And when Pilate saw he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, what did he do? He stood his ground and he held to his principles. No, that's not what he did. He took a basin of water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Miss Jean, no no pun intended, but Pilate folded like an accordion. He was set there. To hold to the law. And yet, Jesus was failed by the law. He was betrayed by his own. He was abandoned by his own. He was, he, was, he was slandered by his own. He was failed by the law. He was abused by the law. You look at Luke 22, beginning in verse number 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him, smacked him across the face. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Many other things blasphemously spake they against him. In John 19 and verse 1, we see a summary statement. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and and scourged him. You know, the Jews uh, had a tradition that they would not whip somebody more than 40 stripes. And uh, the Romans had no such tradition. Uh, the Roman whips, they were often uh, multi-pronged leather, th- leather straps that had lead balls or uh, broken pieces of pottery, things like that in them. And, and history tells us to make the punishment more intense that the victim was often stripped naked and his hands were bound either to a post or hoisted above his head. Whatever it took to, to, to expose uh, the body and to tighten the skin so that they could inflict max pain. Jesus was betrayed by his own. He was abandoned by his own. He was slandered by his own. He was failed by the law. He was abused by his own and by the law. Jesus was mocked by the world. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They have him surrounded and they, they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had platted a crown of thorns upon his head and a reed in his right hand, look what they did. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
You realize they did this after they had already smacked him across the face, punched him in his face, spit in his face, ripped out his beard, whipped him and beat him. And then they continued, this man, these men took Jesus, they spit upon him. They took the reed that they had put in his hand and they beat him over the head with it. And that crown of thorns that that they had laid on his head was beaten into his skull. The Bible says, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. You know, before we ever get to Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had been betrayed by one of his closest. Jesus had been abandoned by the rest. Jesus had been slandered by his own He had been failed by the law. He had been abused by his own. He had been abused by the law. And eventually he was led away and crucified. The very next verse, verse 32 says, And they, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. Now that's noteworthy there. Go back. Simon was not a follower of Jesus who volunteered to do this job. No, they had beaten Jesus... To such a state that Jesus was no longer physically capable of carrying his cross. And so Simon, for all intents and purposes, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because the Romans just looked into the crowd. They found a guy. They grabbed him and said, come on, you're carrying it. And they could compel him to carry it up to a mile. And so they had beaten Jesus to such a state that he was no longer capable of even dragging a couple pieces of wood. Next verse. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Don't gloss over the phrase, and they crucified him. They stretched out his arms, his body that was already beaten and bruised, his body that was already racked with pain. They stretched out his arms, and they took nails, and they took mallets, and they drove the nails through his wrists. Through his feet. And then they hoisted that cross up and they dropped it in a hole in the ground. And his whole body, the body that had already been beaten and spat upon and spit upon, and the face that had already had the beard ripped out. Once they dropped him in the hole, they parted his garments, and the Bible says. Fulfilling the prophecy that they parted my garments among them. And upon my vesture did they cast lots. Verse 36. And sitting down there they watched him there. They set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. Verse 38. Then were there two thieves crucified with him. One on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Because they hadn't already mocked him enough. They hadn't already shamed him enough. They hadn't already done enough to him. So they walked by and they mocked him and they threw hatred at him and they shook their heads. Saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. 
Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Oh, if he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and, and we will believe him. That's a lie, because he got up out of the grave, and they didn't believe him. He trusted God, they said. Let him, God, deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, he said, I am the son of God. Even the thieves which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. You see, before we ever get to Luke 23 and verse 34, he had been betrayed by his own. He had been abandoned by his own. He had been slandered by his own. He had been failed by the law. He had been abused by the law. He had been abused by his countrymen. He had been mocked by the world. He had been nailed to a couple pieces of wood. And those that pieces of wood dropped in the ground. And he had been hung there naked for the world to mock and see. It's into this chaos, carnage, and carnality that Jesus speaks the words of incredible magnitude that we find in Luke Chapter 23 and verse number 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A couple of thoughts about this tonight before we come to the Lord's table. Number one, I want you to see the great guilt. The great guilt. There's no denying the guilt that is present. There's no deflecting the guilt of the parties involved. Judas was guilty. The disciples were guilty. The chief priests were guilty. The nation of Israel was guilty. Pilate was guilty. Herod was guilty. The people were guilty. The Romans were guilty. They were all guilty. They had just driven nails into the very Son of God. And while he hung there naked, gasping for air, they were sitting around mocking him still. They were guilty. Every one of them were guilty. Jesus didn't deserve to die. They did. They did. Boy, you can't get around the great guilt. But I'm reminded, church, this is the plight of all humanity. All are guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am guilty. Jesus didn't deserve to die. I do. I do. Because you see, in my life, I have been Judas. You, you, you call Judas a traitor? Here's the thing. You know what sin is? Sin is cosmic treason against God. So every time you and I choose to sin, whether we consider it a little sin or a big sin, we are choosing to commit cosmic treason against God. We are choosing, as it were, to spit in His face, to turn our backs and walk away. We, we are Judas. We are Peter. We are Pilate. We are the soldiers. And so many others. The guilt of humanity is undeniable. The guilt of humanity is unbearable. Here's the thing. Born a sinner, every single one of us long did our best to provoke God by rejecting His mercy. But the Bible says, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
Boy, the guilt is great, isn't it? I'm going to tell you, the guilt is great, isn't it? He didn't deserve to die. I do. But though the guilt is great, hear me, the grace is greater. Though the guilt is great, the grace is greater. It was into great guilt that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Not just Peter who had a moment of weakness. Not just John who maybe didn't know how to show his allegiance. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He was speaking of the soldiers that had spit in his face. He was speaking of Pilate who had washed his hand. He was speaking of all those who had done him wrong. The guilt is great, but grace is greater. You know what I love about this? Think about this with me. There is no delay in the intervention and availability of grace. There is no delay. This, Jesus doesn't say this later when he has processed what has happened and cooled off a little bit. How many of us need that process time every now and then? Jesus didn't say this after he had cooled off, after he had processed. No, they had just nailed him to a cross. The blood still freely dripped from his hands and feet. The voices around him still raged against him. It's hard to conceive of anything more offensive to God than what they had done to Jesus. And yet this was the context into which Jesus spoke grace. Well, what a blessing it is to know that because Jesus hung on that cross, that grace is available for even the cruelest of enemies. He prayed for the wicked. He prayed for the ignorant. He prayed for the persecutor. Grace is for the undeserving. Because, let's be honest, if it wasn't for the undeserving, it wouldn't be grace. There is no depth to which His grace cannot reach. He is able to save to the uttermost. I earned the grave, but He offers me grace. I earned a curse, but He offers a cure. Aren't you glad that where sin did abound, grace does much more abound? We see, number one, great guilt. We see, number two, greater grace. And that leads us to our understanding of the glorious gospel. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to picture it, Jesus, there on the cross. Jesus hung. Where was he hung? He was between heaven and earth. He bridged the gap that we could never There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other. He hung between heaven and earth. He bridged the gap that we could never. He became what we needed, a sacrifice for sin. He did what we could not. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. He hung between heaven and earth. He hung the just for the unjust. When I didn't want him, he wanted me. Don't ever get over that. 
If you're here tonight and you know the Lord Jesus, the only reason you love him is because he first loved you. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust. He that knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. When I didn't want him, he wanted me. Mankind messed up, not God. And when mankind messed up, I loved what Joel said last week. We didn't try to reconcile with God. We hid from God. We denied and we deflected. And yet Jesus hung with open hands and with an open heart. And Jesus provided a way for sinful man to be reconciled or be right with a holy God. That is the glorious gospel. That at Calvary, a transaction was made. And this is good news. I'm going to tell you, the glorious gospel is still the answer. Hey, I, I'm already past what time I did. It's been right. In our world of wicked place, in our world of wicked place, in our world of wicked place, you know, you look at things that went on in our world this past week, and, you know, we had some um, talk tonight in our deacons meeting about, you know, preparedness and security and things like that. And it's just, it's sad we have to have those talks. Our world is such a wicked place. And I'm going to tell you, it's only going to get worse. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the, the sin and the, the prominence of sin and the way sin is celebrated. It's just awful. It's awful. But here's the thing. Jesus died for every one of them, just like he died for you. Jesus is still the answer. What, what is the answer for, for all of the, the sexual confusion in our culture? You know what the answer is? The answer is Jesus. What is the answer for all of our uh, political division? In a, you know what it is? It's not Republicans or Democrats or some other party. No. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Do you know what the answer to the addiction crisis in our country is? The answer is Jesus. Do you know what the answer for broken homes are? It's Jesus. You know what the answer is for, for kids and young adults who are growing up without a dad or without a mom and trying to figure out what life looks like and how they can be what they've never seen modeled? You know what the answer for all of that is? The answer is Jesus. Jesus is still the answer. I'm going to tell you, look at me. His body wasn't broken and his blood wasn't shed so that he could, he could save easy cases like us. No, his body was broken and his blood was shed so that he could be the answer for every case. That's the glorious gospel. That's the glorious gospel. There's guilt all over the place. The guilt is great. But His grace is greater. And that's why we got to pause on a regular basis and remember what He's done. Church, hear me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If you're here tonight and you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to tell you, getting to heaven is not about being good. Getting to heaven is not about going to church. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about giving money. It's not about any of those things. Heaven is gained 
only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you've never received the Lord Jesus, can I tell you, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The words of Jesus are for you. Father, forgive them. And that forgiveness is available to you if you would but receive it. In church tonight, may we never forget what he's done. May we never forget, may we never get over, may we always remember what he has done for us. Our guilt was great. Praise God, His grace is greater. I'm so glad that though He was betrayed by His own and abandoned by His own and slandered by His own and failed by the law and abused by the world, I'm so glad He hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to come to the Lord's table remember what he's done. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then Brother Charles, if you'd invite after our prayer, would you invite the youth group in?